0: For The Daily Princetonian, I'm Jack Anderson. You're listening to Daybreak. In the aftermath of the January 6th Capitol riots, Democrats began citing the slow response by the D.C. National Guard as a new argument for D.C. statehood. Earlier this month, I sat down with Princeton politics professor Paul Freimer to discuss the D.C. statehood movement, why it's important, what precedent it has, and what chance it stands in Congress. It's Sunday, January 31st. Paul Freimer is a professor of politics and the director of the program in law and public affairs here at Princeton. Professor Freimer, thank you so much for joining us at Daybreak. Absolutely. So uh, we wanted to talk to you about D.C. statehood, which is something for our listeners, unless they're from the district, it's probably not something they've spent a lot of time thinking about. So to start, could you just give us a quick overview of the D.C. statehood debate and why it's so important? Sure. So. So, so D.C. is the one area
1: uh, within um, U.S. borders where people can vote in all other elections, uh, but that is not a state. So it is a it is the District of Columbia. I think it originates from the idea that D.C. was the capital of the United States and people didn't really live there. It was just a place to come in and, and participate in politics and then go back to, your, uh, to wherever you came from. So I think that was generally the idea of DC. Uh, DC, though, ha- quickly and now for a long time, became an actual place. And there's, you know, seven hundred thousand ish people uh, there uh, that live there and live there, regardless of whether uh, there's a Republican or a Democrat in office. They are longstanding residents. Nonetheless, uh, the district does not have it is, so it is not a state, so it does not have a senators or a House member and uh, you know, that's that's a big deal. And all the other uh, uh, benefits that uh, statehood would, would provide. Add one more component to that is that not only are there 700,000-ish people there, close to a majority, probably 45, 47% of the population is African-American. D.C. statehood has come up over the decades as a potential state for a long time, uh, but it's gotten a lot more momentum recently because uh, in the midst of the Black Lives Matter protests, the fact that this is a place where uh, a very large number of African Americans uh, do not have full representation has certainly added moral, uh, a moral value to it. I guess I'll say one more thing as to why it's now in the debate is also uh, there's been a lot of debate nationally about the Senate and the fact that the Senate skews towards smaller populations. And uh, so that that states like Wyoming and Utah um, are overly represented because despite the fact that their populations are the size of a a, a small city in California, they have the same number of of Senate seats as uh, California does as a whole. So, and that's California or Texas or New York, any any of these big states. The Democrats have been hurt by this quite a bit uh, because a lot of those states like Wyoming and Utah are Republican states. They don't have to be, but they currently are. So Democrats um, are are being heard in the Senate, and DC is a state that they would see as a a democratic state uh, that would add two more democratic senators um, and give them more of a fighting chance in the Senate.
0: So you've written a lot about previous statehood efforts. There are two things you mentioned there. One, the racial component of D.C. being nearly a majority Black district, uh, and also the political implications of how the Senate generally leans Republican now, and adding D.C. would make it lean more Democratic. So in previous statehood efforts, how have those two ideas, both of race and of political balance, been considered?
1: So uh, on the issue of race, uh, the United States has consistently been reluctant to bring in states that were perceived as a majority non-white. And that has a long history, um, going back to debates over Louisiana in the early 1800s, um, New Mexico in the early 1900s, and Oklahoma uh, is another, uh, Hawaii and Alaska uh, are examples. Could also include places like Puerto Rico that never became part of the United States, but that were considered as a to be part of the U.S. and and then to be a state, or the Dominican Republic, which was thought to be brought in as a state during the 1870s. Congress, uh, the American public has balked at that repeatedly, uh, making arguments that, you know, the populations were not American enough, or, I mean, in some cases, at the time, they literally weren't American, like uh, Puerto Ricans, who were not, or, or Filipinos were not, but The argument is made even within U.S. territories. that These are people who are not ready uh, to uh, govern for themselves, that they suffer from corruption, that they won't be able to manage their state, uh, that they won't be able to participate in in the halls of Congress. And you see some elements of that with D.C. Uh, D.C. is often criticized as corrupt. And this goes back in the 1990s, I think it was, um, the mayor, Marion Barry, was arrested for... uh, Crack cocaine, or trying to buy crack cocaine, and and the city is, has had struggles, like many cities do, um, you know, with different different issues, and so so you see these these issues, you know, keep coming back. Of like, are these places that can govern themselves, um, and especially now, you know, in the midst of the the election, where Trump uh, and and other Republicans accused pretty much every city uh, of being corrupt, uh, that voted for in uh, large numbers for Biden, you know, D.C. just again fits into that. And in that category, um, so so yeah, so race has always been a a critical factor there, and the states that do become states, it's usually after there's a sense that they are a majority white. Uh, that happened with Hawaii, it uh, happened with New Mexico, it happened with Oklahoma. Uh, that they tipped over to being majority white, and then Congress was willing to go forward on the issue of um what they've done in the past with states um, such as d c where uh, it would advantage one one party. Uh, historically, what they did is a lot of balancing. So they would take two states at once, one state that would go to one side, one state that would go to the other side. And uh, prior to the Civil War, that was um, one state would be a slave state and one state would be um, a non-slave state. And that balancing yeah, allowed two states at a time to come in and both sides could agree to, to do this. The Republican Party in the 1880s and 90s got the upper hand and um, brought in a bunch of states on their own. But even then, when there was controversy, they'd find a, a state to bring in that would be Democrat, you know. And so, an example of that is that they thought New Mexico would be Democrat and Arizona would be Republican. Ironically, it turned out it was the opposite. So Congress doesn't even always know how these people are going to vote, but they they guess. I think we could probably guess pretty well that D.C. is going to be a Democratic state. It's pretty overwhelming, but the interesting one for now, would be Puerto Rico. Would Puerto Rico be a balancing state? Ten years ago, Republicans, or even five years ago, Republicans were interested in Puerto Rico. Puerto Rico is certainly bipartisan it's um, and moderate, it, it has definitely elected a lot of Republicans in its local governance, and there is definitely reason to believe that that Republicans could win in Puerto Rico. Now, the Trump administration wasn't very good for Republicans in Puerto Rico and that may be shifting a bit. I mean, a lot of the people he was fighting with over that hurricane, those were Republicans in, in Puerto Rico, but obviously uh, he pissed them off and uh, and they pissed him off, right? So um, so would Republicans go for Puerto Rico as a balance? You know, probably not at this moment, but it is certainly a possibility that Puerto Rico could be at least a, a state that goes back and forth between Democrats and Republicans, and you could you know, imagine that. The other possibility would have to be that Republicans say, let's divide Texas or something into two states or to California or somewhere where they think they could get some Republicans. You'd have to kind of imagine what that would be and where that would be. Um, or Florida, the Florida panhandle. Problem is in all those examples is then the leftover state is probably then going to be Democrat. California could do that. California is so Democrat already, but Texas and uh, Florida are pretty strong Republicans. so You don't want to lose those Republicans
0: support Republican politicians and one would guess Republican voters as well. The main reason to go against DC statehood is that idea that would give the Democrats the political advantage that we're talking about. So is there any, is there a case that you could make to those voters specifically about why they should or could support DC statehood in spite of that? Well, yeah, so I mean, it is true. I mean, it will hurt Republicans, you know, in the Senate.
1: I think you want you you would appeal on a moral ground and on a rights ground that all Americans have a right to being to live like every other American, within a state, with senators, with House members, to be equally represented. That's a very strong, powerful argument that all Americans do agree with, you know, at base, that, that we should have that. I think uh, Republicans will, will fight that, um, as Democrats would if it was reversed, you know, so this isn't... Um, just, uh, you know, the Republicans are wrong. I mean, Democrats would fight this if, it, if they were about to lose two new seats. And, um, you know, Republicans would say, I've heard them say, well, send D.C. into uh, to, to Maryland, right? Then they get statehood, but they, Maryland's already a Democratic state. Um, Republicans don't lose much, or, or even Virginia at this point could probably work. I think they would all say, absolutely, we agree generally with the, the, the concept, um, but uh, uh, we don't like the idea of, um, of losing these two seats. I, I will say just as an addendum to that, that, you know, on right-wing radio, you will hear the, the message that not only is D.C. going to be a state, but it's going to be another state that's part of the, you know, the quote-unquote squad, right? It's going to elect really left-wing Democrats, probably people of color, probably African-Americans, um, and that they're going to promote part of that, you know, quote-unquote radical socialist agenda that the squad wants. So, you know, D.C. is going to be portrayed... You know, it's gonna be racialized, it's gonna be radicalized, um, more than just your normal um Democratic Party, you know,
0: addition. So again, just a more general question. What actually is the process of becoming a state? I mean, I know in the, the House the bill was passed over the summer, but what are the next steps?
1: Yeah, the Senate can just vote. Um the the sticking point um here is that... Uh, so, so it's not a constitutional amendment. This is um, uh, just a, a passage of law by, uh, by Congress and the president uh, would sign. The sticking point right now for Democrats is that it typically goes through a filibuster, and that means 60 votes that you would need to, to get past the filibuster with cloture. If that's the case, you would need 10 Republicans to support this. And you know, that will be hard to do if it's just D.C. Um, what has happened in the past is, again, either they balanced... Or they put it, um, it as part of some big piece of legislation that has lots of different things for lots of different groups that they can lure those ten Republicans over. So they would have to come up with something to get ten Republicans to agree to it, where that those Republicans would then say, you know, they were supporting these other things. Um, there is some talk, you know, if you dig around online, that uh, the Democrats. Could avoid the filibuster by doing this through a reconciliation process, a you know, legal technicality. That would be hard, and it would it would be controversial. But would Mitch McConnell have done it? Absolutely. So, I mean, this is kind of the, the new politics right now. And, would, you know, Nancy Pelosi too. They uh, there isn't a lot of um, negotiating and uh, deliberation going on between these parties. So um, you could well you could well see Democrats ignoring the uh, the issues of the filibuster that way.
0: Um, And so, one final question. Uh, I'd love to hear your prediction. Like, in your view, what do you think will happen with DC?
1: Good question. Generally, I would say, I mean, you know, a year ago I would have said no, but I think there's enough push, or even in the last month, right, of of what is with what happened in the nation's capital, which adds another reason for why DC wants statehood is that DC is feeling like there's all this violence in DC and they can't protect themselves. They need state police and state, you know, and state militia, they're always having to rely on the federal government. So I think, you know, these are all important pushes. And I think um, I would be tentatively optimistic that DC statehood would pass at this point in time, and and maybe Puerto Rico as well, even if Republicans don't buy that Puerto Rico would be uh, Republican. I think uh, Democrats could, uh, could well get both. So there's a lot of uh, things to a lot of hurdles. a lot of other priorities that Democrats are going to face along the way, but I think this has a good chance.
0: All right, Professor Framer, thank you so much for talking to us today. You're welcome. Thank you. On Wednesday, Democrats in both the House and the Senate introduced legislation that would establish Washington DC as the 51st state in the union. The bill is expected to pass in the House, but will face a much tougher road in the Senate. Although Democrats control the chamber with a slim majority, current Senate rules would require 60 votes to overcome a Republican filibuster. Since DC statehood would likely increase Democratic representation in Congress, Republican senators remain universally opposed to it. That's all for Daybreak today. With the spring semester beginning tomorrow, Daybreak will be back to our normal daily news updates every weekday morning. And keep an eye out on the weekends for our longer special episodes. Today's episode was produced under the 145th Managing Board of The Prince. Our theme was composed by Ed Horan, class of 22. For The Daily Princetonian, I'm Jack Anderson. Have a wonderful day.